Welcome to the Payments Podium Podcast, hosted by the payments professor himself, Kevin Olson. This podcast discusses the past, present, and the possibilities of the payments industry. Here's the show. Hey, everybody. Payments professor here, and welcome to the Payments Podium, the podcast where, well, we make payments fun, engaging, and entertaining whenever we can. We've been having a lot of fun series here lately, going actually a little bit off the rails when it comes to talking about what's happening in the world of electronic payments. In fact, we we talked the world of treasury and treasury talent and things you can do to be able to improve your career not too long ago. We also had a chief innovation officer from a credit union on the show to talk about what do credit unions need to do when it comes to innovating. Well, today, we're going to have another conversation about innovating, but I think this one's going to be a little bit different because today I have Greg Lloyd with Level on. Greg, would you like to say hi to everybody? Hi, Kevin. Hi, all. It's a pleasure to meet you. Nice. Glad to be here with you all. Now, you may be wondering, what do you mean we're going to talk about innovation? Well, first of all, let's get to know Greg a little bit. Greg, um, you work for Level, right? And can you tell us a little bit of what you do there and what your position is there? Correct, yeah. So I work for Level. We're a technology and strategy services firm. I work in our financial services and payments practice. So I've, I've been in the banking and payments industries for over 15 years. Um, spent some time at Bank of America previous to Level. Been at Level for five and a half years. Uh, my role here is overseeing all of the work that comes out of our banking and payments practice. So I oversee a team that is responsible for a successful delivery of all our work, uh, again, in banking and payments. Um, so I've been doing that for a few years now. Previously was a consultant here at Level. Um, in addition to that, I also help manage some of our key partnerships and accounts. And then I also help with our sales efforts. So I've been here lo- uh, quite a while. I was employee 29. So like I said, been here five and a half years. It's been a fun ride. But the cool part about that is that means I get to wear a lot of different hats and get myself involved in a lot of different things. And so that's a lot of the fun part of my job. It, it sounds like it too. And when you, you say tech and strategy firm, that is something that, you know, uh, in my opinion, we didn't see that much of 20 years ago, 30 years ago, for sure. And I think some of that was too, because we didn't see that much happening or changing in the world of banking, let alone electronic banking. Yeah. Now though, you're a firm dedicated to tech and strategy because it is changing so much. And you said you, you've been at this for about 15 years, five years with Level. What are the big changes historically you've seen in the last 15 years when it comes to strategy and innovation happening in the world of electronic banking? So I'd say there's a few things. One of the ones that I'd I'd say is actually much more recent is how much opportunity there is for banks and credit unions and others outside of the the top 10 or 15. Um, I think in the past, banks were really limited in how much functionality and capabilities they could provide. And that again, those biggest opportunities were at the, the larger size institutions. Whereas now I would argue that any bank or any credit union or any community bank has the opportunity to try to innovate, to do things differently. I know of banks that have built their own cores. I know banks that are building their own open banking layers. And it's actually really cool to see how much uh, um, financial institutions have realized and become unencumbered from whether it's vendors or legacy tech debt or anything like that. So I'd say that's one thing. Um, I'd say the second big thing that's probably been happening over the last 10 to 15 years, and and I'm sure you talk about a lot here on this podcast, is how much partnership there is in the industry. In the past, as, as I think all your listeners probably know, 
banks and payments would try to do everything themselves. They weren't, you know, fintechs barely existed. And if they did, there certainly wasn't much partnership. Whereas now everyone realizes how much more we can accomplish together. And I think that's not just in offering products or I have a link out from my website to your fintech, but I think just in conversation and challenging each other and trying to make each other better, um, I think is just the collaboration behind the scenes also has been a second big change. Okay, I got to agree. That's a lot. And I want to take you back to what's what is happening with the banks and credit unions and the smaller ones having the opportunity. Now, that, that's what you said is there's opportunity there. And I fully agree. The opportunity is there. But my next question is, are they taking the opportunity or what is the opportunities they should be taken might even be the better question, because I see a lot of smaller institutions. They're sitting watching and waiting yeah. for something to happen. Yeah. So when we look at what is happened in the past is, you know, some institutions have had to play catch up. And in fact, yeah. actually, let me ask you this first, as far as opportunities out there, I'm sure you're going to probably say something involving faster payments. Cause I know that's a huge thing right now, but I would ask you this before we get there. If somebody comes on to want to start working with faster payments today, are they still an early adopter? or they may be behind the curve now because it's actually taken off in most institutions. I'd actually answer in the middle. I don't think they're, an, they're certainly not an early adopter, um, but I don't think they're behind the curve, but I think they will soon be. I think for faster payments, now is the time to make sure you're at least coming up with your strategy and laying out your plan. And, and I'll be crystal clear in talking about this, I don't think faster payments is something that fits everybody. I mean, there, there may be some there's some smaller financial institutions, or maybe you're a niche financial institution, maybe it truly doesn't matter. So I think if you don't start thinking of what your strategy is now and what's the impact to you, your customer base, and how that aligns to how you're trying to grow, then you will be behind very, very quickly. Um, I think it's also important to think about the technology that goes behind that. Because for example, if in a year you decide you want to offer faster payments and you want to offer it in a certain way, let's say you want to offer APIs or or you wanna change how you offer your services to your customers, if you don't have that tech foundation, that's gonna add another year to your cycle. Um, so this, this, while you're not behind right now, I think there's definitely a lot of stuff you need to be doing right now to make sure you don't fall behind. Okay, this this conversation just took a little curveball right there. Yeah, you, you, I, I caught that one, all right? It got by me, but I'm gonna get back to it. I wanna see if you can throw it back at me again because if I heard you right, you said faster payments doesn't fit everyone, but think what your strategy is and the impact of what it will be to you or you will fall behind very quickly. So that gets to the strategy. And, and one of the things you hit on too is you gotta look at how your tech's gonna work on that. But on that strategy, one of the key things I hear from everybody is, well, where do I start? Where do I start building a faster payment strategy? So, well, where do they start, right? If they want to build a faster payment strategy. I think it ties into a couple of things. And I'll also even loop in the, the broader conversation of innovation here. But first, I think it starts with knowing what and why. What are you trying to achieve and why are you trying to achieve it? Are you looking at faster payments because you have, your, you have a specific customer base, whether it's a business or an individual set of individuals that's asking for it? Um, or are you, um, or you just know it's out there and you're trying to figure it out? So those, that type of thing influences where you start. But I think it's a couple of things. One, 
start by just knowing who are your customers. Um, and again, it may be, you may have 10 segments in your corporate and small business teams. You may have, I, I think retail is pretty standard def definition, but mm -hmm. look at all those different customer sets, look at the segmentation, look at what they need. Um, and, and here's where we start talking about innovation. I think a lot of, and I hate using that word because I think the term innovation is cliched, but I, I like to think of it more as change. Like, what are you trying to do? I say the same thing when someone says, oh, I, I want to build an innovation lab. Well, define that for me. Is an innovation lab a PR showroom to walk executives through? Is it something about building pilots? Um, and so it's, it's really important to know what you're trying to achieve. And so tying that back to your question, Kevin, I think know what you're trying to achieve and why. Do you have a customer base you're trying to solve a problem for? Are you trying to grow? Maybe you're trying to grow geographically. Maybe you're trying to grow into a new segment. And it's looking at those things, looking at those use cases. It's understanding what are their problems. It's understanding how does that align to what you offer and what you can offer. Um, I would highly encourage being collaborative, both within the industry as well as within your own company. It's very rare that I meet a company that doesn't have several smart people in there that can think through this. It's just a matter of making the effort to sit down and get a couple of smart people together in a room or here in a Zoom room uh, for the virtual days and uh, just think through it. Now, one of the key things you hit on that too that I, I've been trying to tell the people when it's on strategy is when, and you call the innovation and I see innovation, I see strategy, they, they tie together with each other. And you said, know what you're trying to achieve and why. And I think one of the key things, and I'd like to hear your comments on it, is, is strategy a one-size-fits-all? Just because I have two similar financial institutions, does that mean they go with the same strategy? It's one-size-fits-all? I mean, is there a cookie cutter for determine, here's your strategy for faster payments, now take it and go? <laughs> I don't think so. I'm sure there's a lot of people that would disagree with me, but no, I think strategy is unique to each institution. I don't care if you're the same size, even if you have the same vendors, hell, I might argue, even if you have the same product set and segments amongst your customers, there is still variation based on where you are, what you're trying to achieve. I mean, just alone, you think about all these old businesses that have been around are still money makers. Just because you have an old business doesn't mean you need to change it to make money. It depends on what you're trying to achieve with it. And so you can have two wholly different strategies um, being the exact same. And that's why I say it's important to know what you're trying to achieve. What are your goals? Are you trying to redefine a bank? Are you trying to change it? Maybe you're trying to make yourself an acquisition target. And so I'd come up with a different strategy for that. Um, it's definitely, in, in my opinion, it's definitely not a one size fits all. And, and that's kind of the adventure and fun. And I'd actually throw that out there. Um, don't look at strategy as something boring or just a step that needs to be taken. Think of it as an adventure. Think of this as, hey, I, I, I'm looking at how I define myself. What do I want? What do I want to do? Um, have some fun with it. Play with it. Debate with people. Debate with some people internally. Debate with some people externally. Throw some crazy ideas at the wall. See what sticks. Um, think of again. Think of it as an adventure. It's a choose your adventure, right? At least that's the way I look at it. Yeah, only if we could write that ending the way we want it to be in that choose the adventure. And, you know, plus I used to read those books when I was younger. Yes, I'm dating myself. And I can remember if I went to page 82 and I didn't like the outcome, I'd go back to page 43 and say, well, let's choose the next option instead. And we don't always get to do that in business. 
Now, one of the things though is you you hit on too, and this is something I, I like to tell people a lot when it comes to, all right, you're gonna implement a new strategy. You're looking to innovate and it is change. And you say change to people and oh, they get scared. You know, people don't like change. People like to be th yeah. things to be the way they are. But you also talked about you have a business who's been working for years, works very effectively. Maybe you don't need to change them. And yeah. my question to you would be, okay, maybe you don't want to go in and just change everything they're doing, but would these newer payment systems, these newer payment options that are out there with some of these businesses that, yeah, have been around 40 and 50 years, could they complement what they're doing? Is there still a place for where, hey, this might fit in? It may not take over, it may not replace, but it could fit in and start helping new needs that are starting to emerge or fill in gaps that they might have. Yeah, I completely agree. I don't think, for example, to get specific, if we're talking about ACH or Y or some of the, the older legacy payment options, I don't think those go away. Um, and I'll be honest, I don't want to put names out there, but I've talked to some of the folks that are helping push this change in the industry, and I've heard the same thing from them. I don't think any of these legacy capabilities go away. I think they're important. It's just a matter of understanding where they fit. Now that you've got faster payments out there, whether that is a real-time option from TCH or FedNow, or whether it's same-day ACH, or whether it's something else, I think those are just additional options, and it's optimizing what you what problems each of those solve how you offer those to your customers um and how that aligns to that strategy of yours and, and what you're trying to achieve all right i like that optimizing the problems that you solve that that in itself says a lot because if you're not solving a problem and you're not optimizing your products and services you've got bigger problems <laughs> i just gotta yeah. say now okay <laughs> another thing let's go back to the you know, change is, uh, is difficult too, but so are relationships <laughs> and especially the professional relationships because you got to be prim and proper and all that. But you talked about having your tech foundation. And I see that is you have to start building the relationships with the different tech companies. Do you have any advice on how to be innovative with a tech company? Any advice on how to have the relationship building taking place with the tech company so that you get the end result you're looking for? What would you say, hey, financial institution, credit union, bank, mid, small size, especially, because the bigger ones, like you said, they, they, they got their own, but these smaller mid-size that they've got to go out and they want to have that relationship what advice would you tell to them to help form those relationships to make sure that they're getting what they want out of it? Yeah, I'd say it's a couple of things. First, like any relationship, it's got to be a two-way street. Um, and what I mean by that is, in my experience, particularly at smaller financial institutions, for too long, they've either just been receivers of information from their vendors, um, either because they haven't tried or because more often than not, they just don't get the opportunity. And, and so expanding on that, again, it's a two-way street. At minimum, I think they should seize the opportunity to be proactive, to, to come up. Don't be afraid. Say what you want. Push for what you want. These vendors ultimately are companies that are trying to sell a product and stay alive. So that means ultimately you're the customer and you're right. So don't be afraid to push. Don't, don't let the, let the way this, uh, this industry has worked for the last 
40 years influence how it works going forward? Be proactive, raise what you want, ask the hard questions. If the answer to the hard question sucks or is incomplete, pardon my language here, push. And tell them it's insufficient, tell them it's not good enough. So again, um, make it a two-way street because I've seen too many financial institutions that are just, they're uncomfortable, they're afraid, they don't know how to go into that. I'd say just go into it and there's nothing wrong with, with not knowing. It's those vendors' jobs to educate you. And from the vendor side, I think I would encourage vendors to try to force those conversations, those proactive conversations from their clients. Ask those questions. Say, hey, if it seems like you're holding something back. What else do you have? What else aren't you sure about? How can I explain more of this to you? Um, so I think that's piece one. Second thing I'd say is to think, um, to redefine what a vendor is. Um, in that in the past, when you particularly for smaller financial institutions, when you said vendor, you think of, well, there's, there's, there's three big ones I think of, and then there's a couple other peripheral ones that I think of. And so vendors, oh yeah, there's like six of them, right? And by the way, I'm just supposed to buy one of them and then they give me everything, right? And then I just do what they tell me. That's, that's not the way it should have worked before, but it's certainly not the way it should work now. So think of vendors more broadly, both A, in terms of defining who they are. It's not six or eight of them anymore. There's, there's more than I could possibly count. But then B, also the types of vendors. Don't just think of, oh, there's my core vendor and my front end vendor, and they're probably the same, and then everything else comes through them. Think of fraud services. Think of firms like Level that maybe provide more strategy and technology services to help you mentor, help mentor you, help you learn, help you change how you operate. Think of um, other, think of maybe you wanna build an API gateway and what vendors might fit into that. Challenge yourself to, I don't wanna say best of breed because that can sound intimidating, but think of how you can break break it apart so it's not just a consolidated set of a few vendors, but look at all the individual pieces and the opportunities within each one of those. You know, you, you said a lot and I'm with you 100%. In fact, it, it's interesting when you look at vendors, find one that works for you. Cause I know, you know, I do a lot of work with Vsoft as the, in, as the payments professor too. And we'll even say to people, if we're not the right fit for you, please go somewhere where you're going to get what you want and what will work for you because you got to have that right relationship. Now I want to speak a little bit too about the past of the payments professor's relationship on this, because it's a topic that is near and dear to me. Uh, well, I do run, you know, social media channels, plural, that help to educate people on electronic payments because it's one of the biggest, most important topics there is. If you don't have the education, you're not going to be able to successfully put these products in place. And I used to work for a company years ago, a company called Goldleaf. And one of our number one things was customer support and education. Uh, there's uh, some legends, actually, I want to call them out there in the payments industry that came from Goldleaf that started in that side of education and making sure that you could properly educate people. And it's what made that company so successful. No, they're not around today because they got bought. I mean, somebody came and gave them a lot of money to say, hey, we want this product and the service. But I, I got to just, you know, go jump on the curtails of that one and say, yeah, make sure you're getting the proper education. That is huge. And look around too. Don't be afraid. You know, it, it's not, uh, well, we've been on a date. We got to get married now. No, no, no. You want to go out and date a bunch until you find the one that is right for you. All right. Well, Greg, here's another important question for you. We talked a little bit about the past. We've been talking about what's happening now. I want to know what's the future look like? What are the possibilities 
of what's going to be happening in the world of electronic banking that people need to be looking at. Because we focused a lot on faster payments. I, I'm guilty. I've been focused the past few years on faster payments. And even you said, hey, we're getting over that hump. We're like right at the top of that hump now. You're not behind, but if you don't do something soon, you're going to fall behind. Well, where are we at now as far as looking forward to where there's the early adoption? Or maybe you need to start preparing and thinking about the early adoption of what's next in electronic banking? What's next in the innovation world of banking that people need to start put this on your radar? Start at least getting familiar with what it is. Maybe not a purchase, but familiar with what it is and how it would work for you. What is next in electronic payments? So I, I think it's a few things. And my first answer is sort of odd in that I think it's out there, but it's not out there like it should be. And, and specifically, I'm talking about open banking capabilities. I feel silly talking about it in a way of what's next, um, but it is what's next because it's not out there in, any, in the way it should be. And even if it is out there, it's not adopted by the mainstream consumer as rigorously as it should be. Um, part of that's thinking about what's available in Europe um, with, um, uh, um, with all the new regulations out there. But I think the ability to control all of your electronic payments, to see them in one place, to be able to cancel them in one place, to control where your data is shared around payments, I think that's critical. And again, I, I'm, I'm not ignorant of all that's going on in the industry. There's many, there's industry bodies. There are specific companies without naming names that are working on this. They offer this in some form. So I'm not saying this is the future to pretend it doesn't exist. It does exist. It's just not, it's not as mainstream as it ought to be. So for me, that's one big thing. Um, second big thing I think is out there, um, using the, going back to the term innovation, and maybe if I can, I'll define it for a minute or two. And, and Kevin, you even used the word change and things like that. I think what's another thing that's what's next is people doing more innovation, if you will. And for me, if I define innovation, it, I hate the cliched term that it's become. But for me, it's about trying to change what you're doing, do things differently, to challenge yourself a little bit, to get creative, have some fun. Like there's some elements of that. But again, what your end goal is ultimately varies. But, you know, you may, again, you may want an executive showroom. To, to show some cool gadgets that'll never become real. You might want uh, some place to build out pilots. Um, so you're accelerating to market. Um, it might be just about ideation and gathering ideas and selecting them to pass off to existing product teams. It could be 50 other things. But I think looking at innovation and what it is, I think is another thing that's out there um, and will hopefully get a lot more focus in the coming 10 years as far as first off, people realizing innovation isn't just for the big banks or the, the big companies. It's not just for Visa and others to be pushing. Any financial institution, I don't care if you're 300 million or 300 billion, any financial institution can innovate and change how you work. Um, and second, on top of that, going back to your question of vendors and how you do it, um, they will, those institutions, again, regardless of size, will realize that there's someone out there to work with, whether it's a new vendor, whether it's getting services to help you mentor, like there is help out there and there are those uh, to easily partner with. Um, and I think that will play out huge changes in, um, in electronic payments. Um, for example, one thing that I know has been talked about for 
15 years easily, if not more, is the idea of for payments, customers don't actually care about payment, right? Everyone always talks about payments as part of Uber. Hey, it's transparent, right? I just ordered a taxi. I don't, I don't actually pay anyone. It just magically happens. Same thing for my bank and electronic payments. I don't care where I'm, you know, what's, there's ACH, there's a card. I can do push to debit. I, I can do all these things. I don't care. All I care is I want to get this amount of money to this person roughly with this certainty and this speed. So I think you think about innovation in electronic payments, it's heading towards that, which has been an idea for again, 15 years plus. But even more than that, in my mind, particularly for faster payments, it's thinking about unique experiences for different types of payments, for different customer segments. I don't know, let's pretend I'm in heavy manufacturing. I I don't know, let's pretend I I make giant machines that dig up poles in the earth. what are payments like for my company? How, I'm buying steel. I'm buying, I don't even know what companies like that buy, but I'm buy, buying all sorts of stuff that's different from, you know, some company that makes blankets. I don't know. Their payments are totally different. Even if we go to that vision that we've had of 15 years of, oh, just give me somewhere I can pay how much and what speed and what certainty. Even beyond that, why don't we have yet dedicated experiences for specific customer sets and for specific type of type payments? Why, why does that not exist? I mean, it's, it's embarrassing. And so I think innovation in that type of stuff, the payments experience and how you focus it and specialize it on that type of stuff for me is, is, is huge. And I really hope is something we start to see more of in the next five years. Well, Greg, I got to say, I need you to answer that a little bit more passionately next time. <laughs> not pro- actually I, I think this innovation wow. thing is silly wow you you just i mean you just unloaded a great answer right there there was so much in there i love any fi can innovate and change how you work and thinking about the experiences well i got one more question before i let you go you you've been so kind to be on the payments podium here and answering all these questions but as um you may know a lot of our followers and listeners are somewhat new to the payments industry a lot of them and we've got a lot of global attraction going around too people wanting to change jobs getting into new jobs advancing their career in electronic payments and so i like to ask guests what would you tell somebody who's in the electronic payments world now in the electronic banking world and they're looking to improve their career. Maybe if somebody is looking to go into electronic banking, what should they be doing? What can they do to be able to advance their career, advance themselves to have a successful career like you've had in the world of electronic banking? What advice would you give them? Well, first, thank you for the compliment. I hope I've been very fortunate in my life to, to, to get exposed to some preschool things. I'd say my advice would be a few things. One, don't be afraid to get into the details. Knowing how real-time payments works or whatever else it might be, knowing how specific rails or pieces of a bank actually function, I think is critical. Um, So that's piece number one. Piece two, and it ties into piece number one, don't be afraid to ask stupid questions. We all think and have, uh, have gaps where we're thinking of asking stupid questions ask them because that's the only way you're going to learn. Um, the other thing that's important in piece two feeds into piece number three is check your assumptions. Um, don't be afraid. And again, that goes into the asking the stupid questions. Ask the stupid question. Why do we do it that way? Do we really have to do it that way? Is that a legal and compliance thing? Is that a company policy thing? Why can't we do it differently? Check those assumptions, challenge yourselves, 
ask, ask people why, um, and try to get creative. And there's all sorts of tools and tips and tricks you can get out. If you think of design thinking methodologies, I'd say this is piece number four. Look for those tool sets. Design thinking is one set of tools that you could use. There's a lot of other tool sets you could use too, but think about how you do that. Um, because it's one thing to say, this is dumb. I don't like how we do this. What, how do we do it differently? But it's another to position it as a creative exercise and have fun and get people excited and energetic and make it an opportunity. If you can do that, um, then that's, that's I find, much more successful way for, for uh, looking for opportunities. So uh, that, those would probably be my four pieces. Oh, I like it. Don't be afraid to get in the details. Don't be afraid to ask stupid questions. Check your assumptions and get creative. And Greg, I want to thank you for being very creative, unleashing a whole bunch of knowledge on us in the payments podium. And folks, if you're out there listening and there's something you'd like to hear on the payments podium, if you would, you can send an email to Kevin at paymentsprofessor.com. Maybe you know somebody you think should be on the payments podium. Maybe you want to be on the payments podium. Send me that email, Kevin at paymentsprofessor.com. Also, if there's a topic that you're looking for, something you'd like to have explained or maybe learn a little bit more in further detail, on the payments podium, go back to that email, send something to me. We are here again to be able to make this as fun, engaging, and entertaining as possible. And we're doing our best to be able to serve you. As for now, I'm the payments professor, Kevin Olson, and I have to say, class dismissed. Thank you for listening to the Payments Podium Podcast. Check back every Thursday for a conversation with the Payments Professor. This podcast is hosted and produced by Kevin Olson and edited by Sam Sue Smith. See you on Thursday.